Two amendments to the New Hampshire Constitution were voted on this past Tuesday, and both passed with more than 80% approval. Professor Buzz Schur is the author of the new Privacy Amendment and joins me to discuss. You're listening to the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about the law school and apply by visiting law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire. So, Buzz, to start off with, what brought you into this project? Um, I've been interested in privacy issues for many years. I was a public defender for 13 years where uh, privacy under the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment was an essential part of the work I did. Uh, And um, since then, I've done a lot of work with forensic DNA evidence, and and that evolved into uh, doing teaching up at Dartmouth in the area of genetic privacy um, and ethics and law. So uh, genetic privacy has been a particular interest of mine, and um, I've written in the area. I've given lectures around the country in the area of genetic privacy, and and I've gotten to know uh, Representative Neil Kirk, very conservative uh, Republican in the uh, New Hampshire House of Representatives, who's also uh, very thoughtful about privacy issues. And I worked with him in drafting, you know, statutes, some of which got did not get passed. But he'd been trying to get a constitutional amendment on privacy uh, passed for many years. And so he asked me to take a look at what he was doing and asked me to redraft some of the stuff he's tried in the past. And and this is what uh, what you what you see what got passed on Tuesday is um, is what we came up with. Is it just that one line basically? Yep, that that's is it. What was written is now going to be added to the New Hampshire state constitution. Is quote an individual's right to live free from governmental intrusion in private or personal information is natural, essential, and inherent. Some of it was uh, written to. Make sure that it didn't tread on controversial areas like uh, privacy described in Roe v. Wade, which is about decisional privacy, privacy and personal decision making. Um, And part of it was to be abstract and broad enough so that it could account for technologies that could potentially intrude on personal and private information that we haven't even imagined. And that's the big thing that really stood out to me when I saw that. I'm like, oh, this like this is basically timeless. It's not going to be expire in 10 years because God knows what happens in the world of technology and, and you know, or it, healthcare. Exactly. It, and, it, you know, it that idea uh, gives us a window into what constitutional provisions are about, particularly you know, uh, Bill of Rights, uh, for example, the idea, there was a lot of some complaint by some uh, that this uh, constitutional provision uh, that I wrote was too broad uh, and it wasn't specific enough. It wasn't clear exactly what we were trying to address, the problems we were trying to address. And and my response was, that's not what a constitutional provision exactly. is about. It's about you want to have a sufficient level of abstraction and generality to anticipate circumstances that you don't know what they're going to be. Uh, you don't want to try and copy a statute into the Constitution to deal with a very technical, limited problem. That's not the point. The point of courts, on the other hand, is to get individual cases in front of them involving one particular type of technology applied in a particular way 
and test that out in light of the principled marker laid down by this constitutional provision. Yeah, the courts are more dynamic and they can more easily change over time. And they're more nuanced in being able to take the principle articulated in uh, in uh, Part 1, Article 2A and apply it to a particular circumstance. That's exactly the way we want it to work. And then legislators, in light of that principle, can it's, it, it guides them in writing statutes that create statutory privacy rights that are more specific. They need to do it. Uh, they can't trample on the constitutional provision in allowing the government to acquire certain types of information. They need to be cognizant of this newly laid down marker uh, on informational privacy. So it'll be a guide to legislators also. Were there any concerns from law enforcement when this was brought up? None that I heard articulated. I'm not sure that they were fully engaged in it. There's, you know, they, they've been focusing on some other things like bail reform, for example, uh, recently. And so I don't know that they were aware of it. But that said, you know, it was uh, uh, surprise, to me surprisingly resounding positive vote. 81% yeah. of the uh, people who voted on the question voted in favor of it. I had been... Very uncertain as to whether we'd get the required 67%, two-thirds, 66, whatever, uh, the required two-thirds. Uh, it passed the has to pass the legislature, each house of the legislature, by at least 60%. It made it through the Senate with one vote to spare. <laughs> Um, it made it more easily through the house, but so, you know, that was not a sign that, boy, this was going to roll to victory in front of the electorate, but, you know, there was, there was no formal opposition and there was no, other than me writing op-ed pieces and the ACLU of New Hampshire, uh, addressing it in social media and other contexts, there was no real formal campaign in favor of it. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think less than a hundred bucks was spent on the, both opposition and, uh, uh, activities in favor. Um, so it's the beauty of it was, and what I was hoping was that given the way it was written, people would say, well, how can I disagree with that? Exactly. It's, yeah. it's, that's very much how it comes across, especially in 2018, where people are a little more aware of, especially with technology and digital privacy, with all the the hacking and from credit card companies or Facebook releasing passwords and things like that. It's the perfect time for something like this. It is. It is. And um, uh, I think that worked very much in our uh, to our advantage. I, I think, you know, uh, those that I talked to or opposed to it almost were uh, were almost all lawyers, and they <laughs> wanting you know, specifics. They, they want specifics, and you know I I would give them an annoying lecture on what I thought the purpose of the Constitution was in terms of laying down principled markers and not writing statutes. You should have just told him I'm giving you work for the next de <laughs> few decades. Yeah, I I, I I I tried to stay away from. Uh, that approach, <laughs> <laughs> at, at least professionally, right? Exactly, exactly. But it, it really, you know, it it really calls into question some things that that have been going on around the country that uh, you're going to have to take another look at, like retinal scans. Uh, 
like uh, surreptitious DNA harvesting, you know, taking somebody's DNA off a coffee cup that they left. I mean, biological markers are going to explode over the next 20 or 30 years. Going to your ISP, your internet service provider, and asking for records. Um, what's called the third party doctrine that says, hey, you gave it to them, tough luck. You know, the police can have at it. They don't need a search warrant. I mean, there's a whole bunch of police hacking into your private website uh, or your private Facebook uh, site. There's a whole bunch of potential applications that, uh, you know, it's going to play out in very interesting litigation for a while. Did you compare it to any other states? I don't know if there are any other states that have something like yeah, this. I talked to uh, people at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the EFF, about it. And uh, there is language. California has some language. Other states have some language. I ended up writing it this way because that 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 end, that finishing language, um, uh, natural, essential, and inherent, is language that comes from uh, another place in the Constitution. When it, the Constitution talks about natural rights, uh, and and that language is, uh, was used in the Constitution. So I figured, you know, uh, in, in just in terms of drafting, why not use language that has survived 200-plus years in other parts of the Constitution so people can't complain, they don't know what that language means? And then at the first end of it, you know, the, it starts out by saying, live free, you know that's uh, that's a good half of the live free or die motto of New Hampshire, and you know so there was very much a consideration one of protecting in a principled way, uh, laying down a marker for informational privacy protection, uh, and that was a kind of careful legal analysis, but also how to write it that it made sense and it read easily and people would say. I can't disagree with that. You know? And that was, a, um, that was a different kind of writing. So it took a while. I looked at other states, but this is definitely a creature of New Hampshire. Thanks for listening to the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about us by visiting law.unh.edu or following UNH Law on social media. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire.